Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Okay, next question. I'm an SA, one year, eight months sober. Yay. After full but difficult disclosure, married 28 years and working on it. I truly take full responsibility for my action and know, although um, can't imagine the pain I have caused. My wife still has severe anger and sadness, and I really want to help her with it, but she still feels I'm still not giving her enough honesty. I have slipped on my outer circle, but never middle core one. I have admitted it, but I took me a month to do so. How can I help her more? She won't seek help or, or only tried it um, and was unhappy with it. Well, um, I wrote a book about this. I think it's just the best place to start. You have to understand I've worked with unfaithful men and couples that are devastated by infidelity for over 25 years. So I've seen an awful lot of people try to heal broken relationships. And I'm a huge fan of healing broken relationships. It's probably a lot of what my beliefs are about if there's not too much abuse. But I have in 25 years of watching men cheat, addiction, infidelity, whatever it was, one affair, I have never ever yet, and I mean 100% ever seen a man understand what it takes to heal the wound of betrayal in a woman. I've seen men give flowers. I've seen them give candy. I've seen them give expensive gifts. I've seen them, you know, walk around with their tail between their legs for a month or two. But 90% of us within about three or four months start looking up and saying, why do I, am I still getting that angry face? And how come you're not more cheerful with me? And, you know, are, is this ever going to end? Or, you know, and of course, when, why are we like that? Because we're ready for it to end and we're not getting what we want. So, what I wanted to write about is all the humility and the vulnerability and the lack of control we have to have if we really, really are willing to show the people that we said we cared about that we do. And I say throughout the book, um, you can get off at any time. You don't have to be on this ride. You can decide that you don't want to do the hard work of restoring a relationship that you've harmed, where you've caused great harm. But if you do, it is a day in and day out commitment to living differently, to acting differently. And even then, your angry partner may not compliment, notice, or appreciate it, not for a long time, because she or he may be angry for 18 months. In fact, you might be acting better, and they're going to say, well, you're just acting that way to make me feel better. So you're, um, you're showing up for yourself and doing what you need to do, and I would really, really read out of the doghouse, probably will set things right. Hey, Tammy, I wanted to say one more thing, because I hear this all the time. The guys are like, you know, I'm trying everything I can to let my spouse, to help my spouse know how responsible I am, because something bad happened. And I ask what they're doing, and they say, well, I'm constantly apologizing, and I'm constantly giving them more information, and I just keep asking them for forgiveness. And, you know, and I just think, well, how many more things could you do to try to destroy your relationship? You know, you hurt somebody a month ago, three months ago, last week, and it and it's barely sunk in for them. And already you want to apologize. They don't even know what you're, they're, you're apologizing for because it's just happened to them. So for so many reasons, guys, please, ladies, do yourself a favor. 
Don't say, I'm sorry. Don't say, I didn't mean it. Don't say, I, if I'd known I was an addict, I never would have done that. Don't say, if you knew how much I loved you underneath. Don't, don't do any of that. Because every time you do, the partners say, wow, they don't get where I'm at at all. They're just trying to manipulate me. What can you do? Show that you're working on yourself. That is what you could do. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent. I know, I know. Go ahead, Tammy. Redirect. I was going to say, also don't say it didn't mean anything. That that's a oh. that one's one. I hear that you know, well, it, did, it didn't really mean anything, and I'm like, yes, it did. Well, it meant enough for you to put everything in your life on the line, your family, your kids, your whatever. So I guess it meant something. Okay, next question. Can you differentiate the different ways love addict is used? When it's sex and love addicts, it seems to mean an actual addict to fantasy versions of relationships. But I see many times it's used to mean an anxiously attached person or something like codependent. Sure. So I've been around this, uh, I've been on this rodeo a few times. And um, I remember when I graduated from sex addict to love addict. And I do think for some of us that for sure, love addiction is a step up from sex addiction. Sex addiction is very cold, very unfeeling. And what sex it, and be, it's because what I want you for is your body parts. I want you to, I want you, the person I see with these boobs or that butt or this, whatever, I want to know that I can have that. And those body parts having being desired by the way that person looks, you know, and getting control over them by being sexual with them, uh, whoever they are, um, is going to make me feel powerful and safe. So really sex addiction is about objectifying the physical parts of other people and thinking that by having control over them and getting you desire, whatever it is that you're going to uh, feel wanted or desired or better about yourself. Love addiction is graduate school for sex addicts. I'm no longer objectifying body parts. I'm just fully objectifying people. So what that means is like all of us as a love addict, I have a lot of needs. I have a lot of unfulfilled needs from growing up. I'm a very needful person. You might say, many times I found myself kind of falling for the wrong person or getting more involved than I meant to. Why is that? Because you have a lot of need, and sometimes that need becomes the more important thing than what's really going on. So what do love addicts do? They see someone who might have the possibility of filling all this emptiness and sadness that they have inside up. Like you're the key to my lock and you're going to make me feel better because you're in my life, period. And, and it doesn't matter to the love addict who that person really is. It's getting bond to the, bonded to that person as quickly as possible and being able to experience all this attention and love the way they want it. The problem is, is they don't really see the other person for who they are. The love addict is so invested in wanting to get this thing for themselves, this feeling of whatever, just like the sex addict, whatever that sex does for the sex addict, which is to fill some hole in their soul. The, the, the love addict is also looking for a person to fit into, a, well, it doesn't matter whether they're square around, but they're going to fit them into that emptiness inside of them, and that will make them feel better. The problem is, is that 
I might say to Tammy, if I was single, oh, Tammy, I met this person. They're so great. And I think we share so much. And, you know, I really like how we look each other in the moonlight and we have great talks. And, oh, you know, I did tell you that that she's a heroin addict, but she's really working on that really well. And, and you know, she's only living with her ex-husband, but I'm sure they're going to leave each other soon. And it's like, I don't see that part. As a love addict, what I'm invested in is what I get from them. And so later on, which is going to happen, you start to see who they are. And for the love addict, nine times out of 10, it isn't who you wanted them to be. They're a real person and they don't act towards you all the way, all the time you, you would have wanted. And they disappoint you in this way. And, they're, and so we become angry at them or devalue them or push them away because they're not the person who made us feel the way we want to feel. That's love addiction. It's a distortion that love is somehow how, how someone makes me feel how it makes me feel rather than love being about knowing you and experiencing you and how I feel about you. So moving beyond love addiction is really being curious about who is that person and what's going on with them. I, they make me feel great. Terrific. That means I can sit for an hour learning about them. Um, the feelings in the heart are a doorway, but how, what we do after, you know, defines what's going to work or not. I'll give you one more metaphor. And Tammy, I know how many questions we have. And all it's I can all ask, good. We can only get through the ones we get through. No, but but this is back. what I ask is write us these questions. I will answer them, you know, or come back on Friday. It's just, I'd rather, sometimes I have to get out larger concepts to you guys. So um, actually we're in that vein. Um, why don't we move on? Because I want to answer more questions. Okay, because you said I have one more thing to say about that, but it's okay. I decided to okay. not say it. I said okay. enough. <laughs> okay, I'm the addict and have been in treatment for a year and a half with a CSAT. My spouse and I started reading out of the doghouse together. What would you suggest to help us? I feel stuck, probably because I lied and de deceived her, and I don't know what to do. Things are not progressing. It's been over two years since D-Day. Well, um, this person's been through treatment. So they've been to some, no, I don't no, know. They've been, no, have been in, no, just with the CSAT. Oh, so this I has see. been outpatient. So this is the 50 okay. minutes a week, you know? So they've been in individual therapy, which is, which is a logical place to start. Some 12 steps, some therapy, maybe a group. So they've been working on this for a year and a half with a therapist. And then they started reading the doghouse, which I don't suggest you read with your spouse, by the way. I think it's something your spouse should throw at you and say, this is how I want to be treated. They don't need to read that. You need to read that. They should be reading Prodependence or something that makes them feel better about themselves. I worry when, uh, when partners are sitting uh, and we're trying to do our stuff because what you really need to do is get support for yourselves. And also you need to see that we are motivated to do this work. But anyway, I'm not, I, what, what's wrong with this, Tammy, for me is there's so much I don't hear. I don't hear, I'm going to 12 step meetings and my sponsor said, and you know, and I've been going to three online meetings a week and, uh, and I'm in a therapy group. And you know, that, that's what I worry about because um, nothing will progress when your spouse is not, that's a double negative. Things will progress when your spouse starts to see you taking action um, on the things you need to do, not just in terms of how do I apologize to her? How do I, how do I say the right things? That's what Doghouse is about. It's about the person who is on the road to getting better and they need to figure out how to make it right for their partner. Um, if you are kind of just 
feeling good that you're not doing it and you're in therapy or maybe only doing it occasionally or then you are not the person who should be reading out of the doghouse. In fact, you should not be reading it because what you're saying is I want to make everything right with my spouse and learn all the tri tricks of learning it, make to, how to make it right. And, and that will help me keep doing what I was doing. So um, what I, I, I feel stuck means I feel stuck in the relationship. And I assume that means I feel stuck because I don't know how to make it better. And my answer to you is stop trying. Stop worrying about what she or he is feeling and what they are and aren't doing for you or with you. Let them have their feelings. We have support groups for betrayed spouses. Tammy will type in the thing um, what, how to get there. And what she can do is sit with other women or other people who have been through what she's been through and get support and nurturing for herself. You know, one of the things that addicts struggle with, I think, is that we see how much we've hurt you and we want to rush over and make it better, not just because we want to feel better about ourselves, but sometimes we genuinely see you in pain. And regardless of our knowledge of having caused it or not, when you love someone in pain and you're used to being the person who goes over and makes them feel better, it is actually hard for us to try to make you feel better because you don't want anything from us. And rightfully so. We can't make you better in these circumstances, and you can't fix our problem. When D-Day comes, it is time for us to turn to our own resources so that we can come back together healthier and ready to work. Um, but I don't hear, and I think you'd agree, Tammy, unless this person left a whole lot of stuff out, that they're doing enough for their own recovery to make their spouse feel safe, no less, you know, uh, yeah. So you have thoughts at all? I always have thoughts. Um, what I hear I'm is- I'm sorry about this. Uh, no, 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 no. On this particular thing though, it's like, I'm with you. I, you know, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. And hopefully you're attending the addict drop-in groups on this site and all the other resources, but I don't hear enough. It's not, it's not, if you're only, I say this all the time to people who call, if you're only going to go to a 50 minute session with a therapist once a week and addiction is a 24 seven, okay, maybe when I'm sleeping, not so much, but you know, like you, it's not enough. If you are actively working on your recovery with the same energy you did for your addiction, you'll be good. So, and if you're thinking about acting out and then acting out and then thinking about when you acted out and planning the next one, there's hours every day, you know, so, so converting that to doing good things for your recovery. And, you know, that that's when spouses start going, okay, that person is different. I see them, you know, you talk about lying. I hear all the time people say, I can almost tolerate the acting out, but the lying. And so, you know, it, it's not lying. Dr. Rob has, has talked about this on this webinar before so look at the previously recorded but we talked about you know it's if you say you're going to take out the trash take out the trash if you're do what you say mean what you say do it you know so so there's a lot you know but i what i really hear is two people that don't have enough support the support groups for each of you both of you you know Free. and if you need yeah and if you need a, a therapist you know i can help you find one email me if you you know the program we run is for sex addiction intimacy disorders our clinical director says tell the truth and tell it faster there's because addicts lie you know so so there is help. mostly to themselves by the correct. way correct yes yes uh, yeah i'm doing great you know. okay um, next question. I've been going to 12-step meetings for a few months. I've never been a religious or spiritual person. I like the meetings, but I'm having trouble with understanding the higher power concept. Do you have any advice that can help guide me and find the understanding of a higher power? Can I answer this one? Can I start with this? Can we both answer you first? Okay. 
Okay, so Mark Anthony Lord did a whole series on our website. We say this slower. Mark, Mark, Mark Anthony. Anthony Lord did a whole series about uh, changing your concept of higher power. And so, I mean, people get caught in this religious and all of this type of thing, but I will challenge you that your active addiction was your higher power. You did whatever it told you to do. So it was your higher power, regardless of whether you believe in a you know, higher entity or, or not. So um, uh, I love personally the 12 step, which says having had a spiritual awakening, it doesn't talk about God or a certain religious sect or anything else, but that was transformational for me that was what we are promised as a result of working the 12 steps it isn't going to make our life perfect it isn't going to take away the addiction but we're going to have tools to be able to do things differently and that was that has been the most meaningful part of of my 12-step journey so then i'll shut up and what do you have to add oh tammy you need to say much more and i take way too much time but i tell a, a couple of things so quickly about that i think to have a belief in god you have to, and I mean something out there that will take care of me and that I can depend on to take care of me, that sort of larger being, whether or not you believe in a religion, this idea that there's something out there that's omnipotent and all, all looking after us. I think on some level that has to come from that, that feeling, that hope, that belief, on some level has to come from having grown up an environment where you believe that others were going to protect you and take care of you and it was safe and you could rely on them. And that feeling of safety that I can trust that there's something bigger than me that will be there for me, I think it is makes it easier to think of a larger spiritual kind of experience. I, I didn't grow up with that. There wasn't a lot of trust and love. And, but I will tell you where I found God for me. And this is different than what Tammy said. I spent a few years in 12-step programs, and I saw troubled, sick, worried, destroyed people who had destroyed other people. I saw them walk into the rooms of 12-step meetings, and not right away, but over time, hold each other's hands, share each other's strength, and heal. And I realized, as I believe today, that when you put, in fact, well, let me say this, in the 12-step programs, they say a meeting takes place where two or more are gathered. And what I say is God is in, God is right there whenever two or more people come together with a focus of healing. The body seeks to heal itself in the right circumstances, it will. We seek to heal our, our, our hearts and our souls, too. But we have to be in the right circumstances to heal. And that means being surrounded with accepting, connecting, and, and people that will uh, allow us to feel a little sense of something bigger than ourselves. Because, yeah, that's it for me. Okay, next question. I just found out my husband slept with 70 women, sex workers only, during our 17 years together. I am in shock because he told me only two times. I don't know what to do. I'm simply in shock. How can he be so cruel? Is he fixable? Oh, my God. Well, that's a lot. Um, why don't you start? The, uh, well, I can only say one thing. I go to the numbers immediately, which is like 70 women. It's at least 150 a shot. So how much money could that family have had for that woman, I assume, or her kids or whatever? How much money? 
And then when you take 75 hours or two weeks out of your life from your family, where does, plus getting there and going back, where did the money go? Where did the time go? What has this family missed because of this person's obsession? That's what it brings up for me. But I know there's more there. Do you want to comment, Tammy? So, so I want to honor your pain. I, I and I want to give you hope. I, you know, it, yes, it is the numbers and all of that. Is he very broken? Absolutely. Is there qualified help? Yes, there is. You know, that's this is exactly what we can help with at Seeking Integrity Treatment Program. So, so just like Dr. Rob was talking about, what has his addiction cost, and what is it going to cost if he loses you and everything else? I mean, a divorce is more than a treatment. So, so if he, if he is to the point where he wants qualified help, that's what we do. Call me tomorrow. One more thing about this particular email. Um, I mean, email this particular question is, um, I don't know what to do. And here's the thing. I don't think there's anything to do. Get um, support for you. I, I, I was yes, except go ahead, say it again, Tammy. You're in. You're right. Get support for you. I put right. in the in the chat groups for partners from a pro-dependent lens. So there is you may be too young for this group, but they don't care. Tomorrow, uh, old lady posse. Tomorrow morning, there's a group on Wednesday afternoon. There's another group on Thursday morning. There's a group on Sunday night. You know, there's more webinars. There's so many resources on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. Please please, you know, get lean free. into those. Free for yeah, free. Yeah. So to, to, you don't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do either. And so what you have, one thing that I think you need to get to is that this man who may have been forever your best friend and person you turn to, as we do with the people we're married to, you know, who do I check out the most important things in life with? I go to them first, or I go to, you know, he's no longer your friend. He's no longer your best friend. He's no longer the first person you can go to, to, to find out anything because he's the one who hurt and violated you. And I think that's a great loss for all the partners is that how could you take away my best friend? How could you take away this person that I relied on and vice versa? So there's a loss of, of what that person was for you that it won't, be an equivalent, but that you need to get other women to be, which is your support, the people you turn to, the vital parts of your holding on to yourself for now. Do we have time for one more, Tammy? Well, at least one more. Let's see. So how oh, does a okay. sex addict know if he is just sober and going through the motions, seeing a CSAT, going to group therapy, has a sponsor and attending SAA meetings two years, or actually in recovery? If just sober, but truly wants recovery and stuck, what steps does he need to take? At what point is couples therapy recommended? So this sounds like a question in the beginning that a sex addict wrote, but then it starts to read more and more like a question a partner might have written. So I'm going to ask you to start, Tammy. I feel like it's from a partner, but we're making this up. So, so I, I talk about this often. You know, I, I believe that there's abstinence and then maybe some sobriety, but reco recovery is all encompassing. Recovery is all aspects of my life are affected by my recovery. You know, I don't lie about taking out the trash. I don't, I don't lie to Rob. I don't, I mean, I, you know, I have to be honest in all areas of my life. I have to be, you know, seeking integrity. Now, two years is great, but it's also a period of time. But, but I think 
partners know when somebody's mm-hmm. just going through the motions. Your gut tells you, even if you're being gaslighted and told that, oh, the sky is, you know, well, Rob's sky is yellow and orange. But, you know, if you're being told something, but you're not really seeing that it's different, you're not really seeing that person show up. If you've got kids and, you know, it's the lip service to the kids, it's, it's whatever, you're not seeing those real connections. I trust that. Thoughts? Uh, well, I, I agree with you, Tammy. I, I do think to a certain degree for the partners, it is what are you feeling isn't right because it usually isn't. And how, and if, and how can I trust that and take an action on that? But there are also, there's something else in this question, which I hear also, which is a desire to put a period at the end of the sentence, you know, mm-hmm. um, which every partner wants to do. It's like, well, how will I know when it's okay? How will I know when he's really committed and really won't do this versus he's just doing this to keep me happy or, you know, whatever it is. And you may not know that for a long period of time. Tr- the reestablishment of trust is the primary thing that couples have to do if they're going to stay together because it wasn't the sex. It wasn't the, the affair. It wasn't the, 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 the sex worker, it was the lying that destroys the relationship. And so that's what has to be the focus of your healing. If your spouse is doing things, the addict that leaves you not trustful, then you've got to ask, you've got to find out, you know, we can go back a little bit. If you feel really mistrustful, you can put a G, you can check his GPS on his phone. You can ask him to check in with you two times a day. There's nothing wrong with that. But at two years out, there has to come a point where either you see enough improvement to feel safe or what you're looking for is more than is possible to get. Um, you know, so many things. Um, but I would just encourage you to, and by the way, there's one more thing I want to say about this. Sometimes relationships aren't great for a really long time. Sometimes relationships aren't great. And what you want back and want to see happen to that relationship may never have really been there in the first place. So, be careful when you ask for it, when you say, I want to regain the intimacy, regain the connection. Maybe it's not what you thought it was in the first place. Well, you're nodding your head, Tammy. So I'm just wondering. No, I, no, I, yeah, I, no, I, I agree that, you, you know, it was a, it, it, often it was a facade. And so uh, what I right. see in recovery is that people mm. are real and honest and they aren't perfect and they aren't pretending to be perfect. Um, but, you know, like you were talking about, you know, the threes and fours and all of that, you know, it's like, but if I'm real and I'm showing you who I really am, you know, that's way more meaningful than I'm a 10, which I'm not. Um, but you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want you to think you like me based on this facade that I'm putting, because then you don't really know me. And I know that if you really did know me, you wouldn't value me. And that's the opposite of intimacy. Intimacy is being known and my revealing myself to you emotionally and you're, and watching how you accept that. And if you accept that, I feel closer to you. I mean, that's what it's all about. This, this one we have to answer. Hi, Dr. Robin Tammy. I'm 28 and I've never been on a date. Sometimes I feel like I can't start dating until I, I'm, I'm a catch. Is this wrong mentally? And I'm, or is this the wrong mentality? I'm going to wait till I'm a catch before I ever start dating. Well, I mean, I, I have a, a, a doctory question and then I'd love you to answer the, the more emotional part. Part of my question would be, are you sexual with yourself? Do you have a sexual life? Do you allow yourself to enjoy sex or fantasy around whoever it is you might date? Is there something going on inside of you that is allowing an emotional and sexual connection to this, even if it's not 
happening because I certainly know people who they're not having sex, they're not thinking about it, they're just completely shut it out. So I'd be curious about that um, because there is a, um, a uh, uh, defined, uh, it's like sexual orientation called uh, asexuality. And there are people who are very, very comfortable simply not being sexual. That's just how they are. They're fine with it. It doesn't matter what it comes from, whether it's who they are, trauma, whatever, but they're just not interested. And so, you know, what does dating mean to someone who doesn't really want to or enjoy sex? So there are lots of questions there that are that that you're not that I don't know about. But I would ask, you know, do you, you, you do you allow yourself pleasure and fantasy around the goal you have, even if not, you're not achieving it? Um, Tammy, I know you're going to have a very different answer, and that's why I love doing this with you. And I am going to look at it from the emotional standpoint. I was like, if I waited to, I mean, dating is, you know, it takes practice. You know, you're going to do it badly at first, and that's okay. You can't, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, I said, you're looking to have the college level, you know, and be able to write a dissertation on something, and you're in kindergarten. You know, you just can't do it. So, so you can't be the catch. And quite frankly, who wants to be? I want to be the catch for the person who I want to be with, who's who resonates with me. Like you were talking about, I want, that's the person I want to catch, not some unattainable, you know, celebrity type. That is a great point, Tammy. Who, catch for who? Because you may walk down the street and a hundred people, you may be, you know, not that, not that your body may not be in the right place. You may be a mess. How are you walking down the street? And someone says, I love a woman who's really looking casual. So how do you know what a catch is? To me, what you're saying is I need to be everything I feel like I need to be so that I will be immediately um, have people attracted to me and I won't get abandoned. So in some sense, it feels like a little bit of a sense of control. How can I be what I think they will want so that I don't have to worry about being rejected or unwanted is what it sort of feels like to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.